Hurricane Mania 2022, the Bill Gates Goalkeepers Conference, and CNN's Reliable Sources returns in a bit of a different form. You're watching or listening to the Propaganda Report's Drive Time News Blast. I am Brad Binkley. Cam will likely be out for most of the week as he is in Florida trying to keep him and his family safe from Hurricane Ian. So keep them in your prayers and hopefully that hurricane will not live up to the media hype and we will have him back as soon as possible. A quick announcement. There will be a disappearing patron party tomorrow, Wednesday, September 27th at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And then another one the following Wednesday, September 5th, or excuse me, October 5th, also at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So going to be getting back to the DPPs and we're going to be trying them out on a weeknight, a weeknight DPP to see how that works. Check that out. Let's move on. Let's dive into that top story of the day, which is Hurricane Mania 2022. It is back. It took a, a brief hiatus during the pandemic. We can only focus on so many crises at one time. But now it is back in full force. Death, doom, and destruction is upon us. History's worst storm. We will never see one, nor have we ever seen one as bad as this one. This, you would believe if you believe what the mainstream media has been telling us. And not only that, it's our own fault. We have no one to blame but ourselves and man-made climate change. Look, hurricanes are scary if you're in the path of one. And I certainly would not want to be in the path of this hurricane or any hurricane. And for those who are in this hurricane's path, do what you need to do to be safe, to take care of yourself, take care of your families, take care of your pets, take care of what you need to take care of. Be smart, be safe. Personally, if I were in that situation, I am not a coastal town person, so I don't have the preparation to withstand a worst case scenario hurricane. So I would probably, knowing that it could be overhyped again, I would probably leave, go somewhere else, just out of an abundance of caution. What sucks about the reporting of these hurricanes is that, and actually puts people in danger too, is the constant media overhyping of how horrifying and how the worst case scenario and how it's the most dangerous hurricane in history, just the fear mongering with it. They've cried wolf so many times that many people do not believe their forecast anymore. Yet every now and then the hurricane is bad. Most of the time it doesn't live up to the hype, but every now and then it does. And when it does, it can be devastating for those who are hit by it. And some people could very well be numb to the fear mongering and not leave or not prepare as much as they should because they believe it's just overhype again. That's the media. That is the media putting people in danger to push their own agenda. We'll talk about that agenda a bit in a moment. Now, if it were me, as I said, because I'm not prepared, I don't live there, I would probably leave out, an abundance, out of an abundance of caution knowing that it could very well be overhyped. And I, I certainly hope it's overhyped. I do. I do want everybody to be safe down there. Okay, so why the overhype? Why do they do this? There is an argument that they overhype, kind of like I was saying, out of an abundance of caution to get people to just leave. They need to scare people into taking action because most people don't take action unless they are just frightened into it. That, that argument, which perhaps that is the case. But again, they do it so often, every time, and they link it to another reason, climate change, which makes it seem disingenuous. And that seems to be, while the first reasoning I can see what people are saying, but why do you link it to climate change? Because that is what they care more about than actually helping people. So climate change to the, the media and to Bill Gates and to all the 2030 agenda pushers, every hurricane is an opportunity to push that agenda. 
Even if the hurricane doesn't turn out to be what they claim it will be, we, the public, are still subjected to this annual hurricane fear fest by the media. Regardless of what hurricane season is, what it's like, you know, what, what happens, it's always climate change's fault. So there could be more hurricanes than usual, fewer hurricanes than usual, unusual, strange patterns of behavior by hurricanes that we've never seen before. It's always the fault of climate change. And it's always an illustration of why we should be concerned about the fate of this earth that we live on and why we need to take action now to stop climate change before it's too late. It's, it's like Greta. This is like Greta's time to shine. They might as well have Greta going on mainstream media newscasts talking about the hurricane. How dare you? How dare you doubt the danger of the hurricane and the impact of man-made climate change? It's unbelievable how shamelessly they will put the well-being of people in potentially the path of danger behind that of the climate change agenda that they love to push with every single thing. It's so, so obnoxious at this point. With that said, just to give you an idea of some of the hurricane or climate change hurricane-related news items that they put out there. They just love this. These, these people, these 2030 agenda people, they love hurricanes because they love this opportunity to make the climate change issue feel personal and real to people. That, that's what it's all about. That's always been the challenge when it comes to climate change. It's making people care about it at a personal level. And we care about putting food on the table. We can feel that. We can feel it when the money's not coming in, when prices are up. But people just, climate change is such an abstract thing. They love when they can try and make it physical and real when it comes to a hurricane. So this is from Oliver Darcy, who, this is how he puts it. Oliver Darcy of CNN. These are headlines that weave climate change reporting with stories about Hurricane Ian. The first one, first headline, CNN, climate change is causing hurricanes to intensify faster than ever. Faster than ever. I did a quote search on that on Google and found about a dozen other publications using that exact same headline. But faster than ever before, could have sworn I've heard that like five or six years running with the exception of maybe one of the pandemic years. New York Times a nightmare for forecasters. A nightmare for forecasters. Here's why hurricanes are getting stronger and faster. What are these genetically modified hurricanes? Like super soldier hurricanes? They had a, a CRISPR DNA edit and now they're stronger and faster. I, I have a feeling I know why. Because of man-made climate change, obviously. NPR, very trustworthy and, and moderate, calm in NPR says... Hurricane Ian's forecast shows the impact of a changed climate. I like what they did there. Not the impact of climate change. Changed, not changed. Change, not changed. Excuse me. But the impact of a changed climate. Tricky language from a very calm and trustworthy NPR, apparently. And then CNN has another one here that says the National Hurricane Center director says that the forecast is a near worst-case scenario for Tampa. Worst-case scenario. It's like the racism thing. If everything is racist, then nothing is racist. It, it, people get numb to that. If everything is a worst-case scenario, then nothing's a worst-case scenario because you have become unbelievable. We, we see what you do. And that is what's unfortunate here is they can't prioritize the well-being of people over the climate change agenda they want to push. What's interesting is that Oliver Darcy of CNN 
is linking these examples of the climate narrative being woven into the reporting on Hurricane Ian as though these are examples of good reporting. This is good journalism, according to him, the weaving of an agenda with a potentially deadly storm, putting that above that of the well-being of those involved, as I mentioned, of those potentially who could be impacted by it. They could just help people out. They could say, you know what, let's put this climate agenda aside and try and give people good measured information so that they know that we know we've been sensationalistic in the past, but we're trying to rebuild trust and we genuinely, genuinely want to help them. But no, we cannot do that. We can't save the climate propaganda for another time when not so many lives are literally at stake because it is in these moments that the climate propagandists, they dream of these moments. To them, there is no better time than now when the fear is at its highest to relentlessly pound Americans with the climate narrative as though it's a Category 5 hurricane and the American people are the Florida coast. That is when they hurricane cheer, hip hip hooray. Klaus Schwab is jumping up in the air as far as he can get, clicking his heels together because hurricanes bring that opportunity to hammer home that freaking climate change agenda. Closing out on the hurricane narrative, maybe there's some, I don't know, weather modification. Nobody ever brings up weather modification, weather control. I find that kind of humorous, you know, because we know that there are, China literally has a government department for weather control. They've created snow for the Olympics. We have been studying the ability to, ability to control the weather for decades. It was Operation Popeye back during the Vietnam War where we cloud seeded over there in Vietnam so that it would rain in certain areas and make the terrain mushy because we had vehicles that could get through it and those who we were fighting did not. This has been studied and attempted, the weather has, to control for a long, long, long time, documented and declassified documents, obviously. Nobody ever makes that connection. Nobody ever says, hey, you talk about climate change, but what about these decades-long efforts to control the weather. Couldn't those possibly have some sort of... Is this is this the man-made thing you're talking about? Oh, it's not. And you're a conspiracy theorist if you bring that up. Excuse me. It's just your carbon emissions and whatever else that Bill Gates talks about all the time. Moving on from that, everybody be safe. Serious moment. If you're down, if you're in harm's way, you're in Florida, wherever you're in a coastal area that the hurricane is coming through, or you're in Georgia or anywhere else that the hurricane, the weather's supposed to come through, just be safe. Do what you need to do to be safe. Take, use an abundance of caution. Speaking of Oliver Darcy, his reporting on the reporting on Hurricane Ian, this was all from the all-new Reliable Sources newsletter. The first one since Brian Stelter got his promotion by the machine to his new position at the Harvard Shortenstein Center where he can exercise quiet influence over young, impressionable, up-and-coming journalist slash propagandist. And as you know, they put Stelter's protege, Oliver Darcy, in charge as part of this alleged effort by CNN to become more trustworthy and do unbiased reporting, which it kind of makes the choice of Darcy a, a little questionable if they're really trying to convey a trustworthy feel because he doesn't do it. To give you an example of, of the type of reporting that Darcy is going to be doing in the new Reliable Sources newsletter, which they made a big to-do about the rolling out, even was featured on Drudge. And this is in addition to the above headlines that he was featuring, and he was featuring as though it was a good reporting to you know, inject the climate change agenda into the reporting on the hurricane. Here's a, an excerpt from this new, all-new, revamped, reliable sources newsletter from a section called The InfoWars. 
Also interesting, they used to bash Alex Jones and say he calls it Infowar. Well, that means he's evil. Now, I showed you those videos of Dan Pfeiffer, Obama's top advisor for six years in the White House, as communication strategist, teaching these indivisible activists that they need to engage in the information war, and here's how to do it. Literally calling it that four times or so in that training, and now CNN is calling it the same. Oh, how the, the tides have turned. They now sound like Alex Jones, the person whom they despise or claim to despise. Anyway, in the section called... The InfoWars in the Reliable Sources newsletter, Darcy writes that on his podcast, Steve Bannon celebrated Georgia Melonia's victory in Italy, becoming the country's most far-right prime minister since Mussolini. Bannon said she doesn't seem all that radical and mocked the media for being in meltdown mode. And he links an article to Media Matters, which goes on to then link, you know, it's all circular articles to the AP and Reuters that say the same basic thing about this being the worst far-right person since Mussolini. Darcy presumes in his framing here of the story, as all of the media has done today, that this woman is without a doubt proven to be the country's most far-right prime minister since Mussolini, as I mentioned. Same propaganda, type of propaganda that Stelter delivered, just in a bit of a different format. And no evidence is ever provided whatsoever. It's just stated as an assertion. This is not reporting. You all know this. This is demonization without getting people to think about it. You just say that over and over again. You get enough sources coordinating to say this. You get enough people tweeting the same thing, as I'm sure the Indivisible group, the Truth Brigade, is copying and pasting their tweets and multiplying them, the multiplier effect across social media right now, then people won't think about it. They will just believe those messages because you hammered them into their heads. This is not any different than what Stelter did. Same thing, new face, new style, same propaganda. No trust for you seeing it. Which brings us to our next story. The election of Georgia. We're going to say or Georgia Melania. I'm sure I said it wrong. I'm going to be brief on this one, but how do we know she's the worst since Mussolini? Well, they're telling us that the reason we know this is because her party, the Brothers of Italy, has its roots in post-World War II neo-fascist Italian social movement. Okay, that's proof. If, okay, if that's proof, were the Democrats not the, the slave owners? Was the Confederacy not led by the Democratic Party? If this is the reasoning that Democrats and progressives want to apply to any group with ties, uncomfortable ties, hundreds of years or a hundred years in the past, then they need to examine their own ties in the past as well. Of course, they will have all these explanations for the flip or whatever, but who's to say there's not explanations for the same transition into non-Mussolini-like politics over there? It's just the hypocrisy. I, I understand pointing out the hypocrisy. It's a common, but it's just mind-boggling to see and hear people who haven't even considered that. If you say that to them, but yeah, you're saying this, but you know the Democrats were the slave owners, right? You know that, right? So, oh, but no, not really. Okay. Okay. How, how can you not apply that same logic over here? Cognitive dissonance. That's what. Cognitive effing dissonance. Back to Darcy for a moment here. One of the reasons I wanted to mention that reliable sources story, the return of the reliable sources, is because a subject that I've been tracking since the World Economic Forum annual Davos meeting back in May is this trust-building effort 
The so-called elites and the institutions following their orders are engaged in. They admitted, as I've mentioned many times, Davos that the public of the world trust the elites less and less, and in order for their global Great Reset takeover to be successful, the influential institutions in society must regain the trust of the public. That's the only way to do it. It's the only way to coerce people into their own submission into the Borg is to rebuild that trust. And again, that's why Stelter was out and Darcy was brought in to make them appear unbiased, even though they don't. So we had another demonstration of this trust-building effort among the elites trying to recapture the hearts and minds and trust over the weekend at the Gates Foundation Annual Goalkeepers Conference, which I had not ever heard of before. This is five years old, yet it took a year off during the pandemic, and it was virtual one year. So this is the third or fourth one that they've done in person. Here's what the Goalkeepers Initiative is. Goalkeepers is an initiative launched by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation in 2017 to bring together leaders from around the world to accelerate progress towards achieving the sustainable development goals. Now, the SDGs, as they call them, this is also the goals of the ESG control mechanism that Klaus and the Great Reset put in. And this is also the goals of the World Economic Forum. They, They are aligned in their goals here. It says here that it is the core event in the annual Goalkeepers Conference, which usually takes place during the Global Goals Week in the UN General Assembly, which it did. And they give a changemaker award to the individuals who are extraordinary individuals driving progress in their communities and countries. And invitations to this conference are issued to global leaders and aspiring personalities, remember that part, who have been selected by the board. The Borg. It might as well say the, the effing Borg, because that's who's selecting them. So, the conference this year, and I watched a lot of it. it. It was, Bill Gates is in every single aspect of it. He injects himself into every, at one point in time, he's rolling a tree out on the stage, and he just talks about the, uh, the tree. It just, he just talks about it and how climate change is affecting it. It's very bizarre. It's focused on climate change, obviously, and it's trying to get people to care about it. And how do we get people to care about it? And they have a discussion about disinformation, this hot topic of disinformation. And in this case, the impact of disinformation on the climate change issue, how it sabotaged the process in this fight against climate change. One of the reasons for this is this familiar theme that I just mentioned a moment ago, which is mentioned or revealed by the moderator, who you will recognize. But it is the trust issue. It is the trust issue, and that was a major point of discussion, just like at Davos. This might as well have been a Davos discussion, hammering home that we do not trust them, and they must win our trust back, and they're fighting hard to try and get it. And that's why these clips are important, because we are going to hear the methods out of their mouths. And we've talked about some of these, but it's always helpful, I think, to hear them say what they're trying to do personally, so we know how to look out for it. The first clip here is the introduction of this conversation that they're having about misinformation and its relation or disinformation and its relation to climate change. And the person moderating this discussion is Kumar of Harold and Kumar goes to White Castle. That's your moderator at the Bill Gates goalkeepers. And he's just hilarious the whole time. I got to tell you, here is the first clip of him introducing just to kind of set the context of the conversation. What a nice space, nice, bright, beautiful day. Maybe not for you all have a little too much sun in your eyes. Sorry. All right. It looked nice from where I'm standing. Thank you for having me. 
Now look, this panel is about misinformation, okay? And that is something very selfishly, I think almost every actor or politician or athlete or musician knows something about. There are gossip blogs masquerading as journalists. There are conspiracy theorists with YouTube followings. There's like, there's a lot to choose from if you're in the market for something that's a little bit nuts. I remember when uh, I worked as an aide to President Obama, I remember some folks were completely convinced. That's why, by the way, how many of you guys knew that? I knew that, I'd forgotten about it. Harold or Kumar from Harold and Kumar goes to White Castle, the stoner movie. He stopped acting for a little while to go be an aide in the Obama White House. And I love the little explanation of all that that he gives her, or the little connection he makes with conspiracy theorists here. It's just... Extraordinary. To President Obama, I remember some folks were completely convinced that I had taken a leave of absence from acting and was placed into the White House to orchestrate a massive propaganda machine through which artists would sell people on the Affordable Care Act. That's exactly what's going on. That's exact. That is what's going on, gone on throughout history. Is you get celebrities to come deliver your message because they have more influence than those that are not recognized or authoritarian or authority figures that people are not prone to listen to. This is exactly, yes, he is part of a propaganda campaign, but listen to why he says that that can't be true. Here's why. Here's why it can't be true with a little joke that he, you know, says that's a stupid idea by making this dumb joke. The ACA, obviously, obviously Affordable Care Act or the ACA. Obviously, we all know that if that was true, the rollout of the ACA would have gone smoothly, which it did not. So it's not my fault. When you, I don't think that one really landed the way he was hoping it would. And definitely not a good explanation for why you're not a propagandist, because you are absolutely a propagandist. Kumar. Kumar. Good grief. Add misinformation into a mix of passion and emotion and history and mistrust, our world's most audacious accomplishments can easily be extinguished. According to recent polling, 70% of people believe the spread of false information to be a major threat. That's higher than cyber attacks. That's higher than infectious diseases. That's higher than threats to the... Yeah, the spread of... Mis and disinformation is a major threat. It's I don't know who they pulled there. I personally think that the spread of propaganda, disinformation, is a threat. I wonder if they differentiated that in their polling, if they asked people which disinformation, which propaganda is the threat, because he doesn't distinguish that here. It's just assumed to be their side and the other side is progressive, is uh, fighting the progressive agenda. The propaganda that fights it, that's, that's the disinformation. Everything they say is true. Economy. So this take that back infectious diseases, that's higher than threats to the economy. So this perception is the biggest threat behind climate change. It's clear that over the past two years, we've seen more confusing and conflicting. This perception, let's think about that for a second. This perception that disinformation is the biggest threat is the biggest threat behind climate change. I want to hear that again. So this perception is the biggest threat behind climate change. The biggest threat behind climate change is the perception that disinformation is one of the biggest problems. It's interesting. 
It's clear that over the past two years, we've seen more confusing and conflicting information than ever, despite the new innovative solutions that the world has benefited from. The vaccines that saved millions of lives and have allowed us to return to normal, even those things are viewed with skepticism. Yeah, this guy's not a propagandist. Take, for example, the words of a 5G conspiracy theorist in June of 2020. He said, here's the quote. 5G Corona is the hashtag truth. There is no damn virus. We all got sick around the same time, and that's when they rolled out 5G. Okay? Or the words a very enthusiastic Twitter user posted in December of 2020 when scientists released the first vaccines for COVID-19. Here's the quote from that. Look, Jacob, what you don't understand is that Pence and Biden didn't actually get the vaccine. Instead, They were injected, you all know where this is going, with Bill Gates' microchip designed to force you to only buy Microsoft products. Do your research, sheeple. I don't understand that tweet they selected there. I get they were going for a a humor, it'd be be funny, that, that kind of effect there. But look, Jacob, you don't understand that Pence and Biden didn't actually get the vaccine. Why Pence and Biden? It's a weird combination. Instead, they were injected with Bill Gates' microchip designed to force you to only buy Microsoft products. Do you read? That sounds to me like somebody mocking it. That doesn't sound like a serious tweet to me. That, that doesn't, sound, doesn't make any sense. There's no conspiracy theory touting that, saying that. I, I have never heard that. It's like the one, the fact check that Snopes did where they said, claim Hunter Biden is on video on his laptop Raping 33 Asian little girls. No, nobody's making that claim. And then it says, Hunter Biden fact, Hunter Biden laptop conspiracy, fact check false. Okay, no, those aren't the same. Those are different. Those are different. This is one of those very similar instances here. He probably typed that. That's probably his tweet. In fact, I'm going to look that up. I'm going to find that account in tomorrow and search that verbatim. See if that's actually on Twitter. I wonder if it is. I should have done that before the show. I'll do it before tomorrow's show. What a nice space. Nice, bright, beautiful day. Maybe not for you. all have a little too much sun in your eyes. Sorry. All right. It looks nice from where I'm standing. What's going on? Why did that do that? Oh, I think that must be the end of that clip. It just started another clip on its own. Is that what happened there? Hold on one second. My apologies. Instead, they were in chip designed to force you to only buy Microsoft products. Okay, so yeah, that was the end of that clip. I'm not quite sure why that other one started up there. That was a little bit weird. Okay, so you get the tone that they're, they got here. They, they're mocking conspiracy theorists, creating straw men to make people who question any of this stuff, their narrative, to seem crazy. Now here, he identifies the trust problem, but he does it in an odd way, picking up on this theme of mocking conspiracy theorists and then concluding this clip by laying out this trust problem. I found this clip just to be just revealing of the type of mentality, the way they view people that don't agree with them. They just don't like them. Now, look, jokes aside, to be clear, many conspiracies are based on very real fears, right? For a lot of communities, especially communities of color, governments and the private sector, institutions and individuals have historically experimented on us and degraded and disrupted our parents or grandparents or great-grandparents' generations. Very true. 
Now, where's he going to go from here? Let's see. The effects and consequences of this are still things that we grapple with today. But let's face it, it doesn't make a big difference in Bill Gates' life if people think he's microchipping you when he knows he's not. He's too busy jumping on the trampoline in his living room anyway. Okay, so he just acknowledged that. The real problem here, that there's a justifiable reason why people believe in conspiracy theories. Because historically, they have been true. They have been proven true. And then instead of giving a legitimate reason as to why people should view them differently, he goes back to mocking people who believe in what he just said were justifiable conspiracy theories. And you saw how he kind of rolled his eyes because he's performing a script. He's performing a script. None of this concern that he just expressed in those two sentences, those were obligatory. Oh, we have to address their concerns. This is the truth sandwich. This is, you address what they're concerned about, then you just dismiss it wholly, and in his case, you mock the F out of it. What a clown. Instead, conspiracy theories hurt everybody else. This entire event is about reaching the... I want to take that back. I, I want to give you that without me interrupting. My, my apologies, because I want you to get the full effect of just how condescending this prick is. Now, look, jokes aside, to be clear, many conspiracies are based on very real fears, right? For a lot of communities, especially communities of color, governments and the private sector, institutions and individuals have historically experimented on us and degraded and disrupted our parents or grandparents or great-grandparents' generations. The effects and consequences of this are still things that we grapple with today. But let's face it, it doesn't make a big difference in Bill Gates' life if people think he's microchipping you when he knows he's not. He's too busy jumping on the trampoline in his living room anyway. Instead, conspiracy theories hurt everybody else. This entire event is about reaching the sustainable development goals, ending poverty, ending hunger, improving health. Creating but we're board. not going to improve health if people believe their medicine has a GPS tracker in it. And we're not going to help farmers in Africa grow more food if everyone thinks that the corn that Bill wheeled in here is a secret Illuminati plot to take over the ethanol market. The point is... Just not landing here with these. I don't think the... It's weird. They got this guy doing stand-up comedy to a sustainable development crowd that is filled with people who are probably between the ages of 60 and 80. It doesn't matter uh, how good your idea is if no one trusts you. So the question... Let's hear that again, because that's what this gets down to right here. The point is, it doesn't matter uh, how good your idea is if no one trusts you. So the question remains, what can we actually do about it? And that's what I want to discuss with our panel. Isn't this ironic, the way he rolled this out? Could that have been any more condescending towards people who have been affected by what was deemed conspiracies once that turned out to be true that he referenced there. I mean, he acknowledges that past and, you know, very obligatory, as I said, rolling his eyes almost, but he said they're real. It's justified that people have those concerns. And then he turned right around and he gave those very people no reason to trust him, no reason to trust him. And then he said, trust is the problem. How, how does he not? How do you not see this as one of these people? Are you that disconnected and out of touch with people? Do you think that they're so stupid? I mean, that is one of the most insulting introductions of, hey, hey, okay, well, look, given, and he was very scripted about it. So, 
there are people, people of color, who have had reasons to believe this because their parents, their grandparents have been injected. But Bill Gates doesn't need a tracker. Blah, blah, blah. He might as well have been clown. He might as well have been wearing a clown suit and balloons flying up and horns blowing while I was doing that because he just completely mocked these. You have to be an idiot. You have to be cattle to accept that little, here, let's do the truth sandwich, we acknowledge your concern, and then we brush it off and tell you the truth. Bill Gates doesn't need to watch you. He's got a trampoline in his house. Ha ha ha. What an insult, and what a snooty prick this MFR and all these other people involved in this are unbelievable that he opened up a, tr- a thing about trust. We need to rebuild trust. Why don't they trust us? You just mocked them. You just mocked them. That's why. You gave them no reason to not believe that you're exactly like these people who duped their grandparents, their parents into taking what not take the, the Tuskegee project, whatever, all of the all of the conspiracies that turned out to be true. He gave them no reason to believe that they are any different and then presented what about the trust problem? How are you this blind? It's all that weed, all that weed in White Castle. All right, next clip. That just, what an irritating, irritating person. And this next one here, they, so they ventured away from the answering the question about trust right away. So I skipped a little bit into the, the discussion and Kumar brings it back to the trust question and we hear some of the answers from the panelists on the panel are Renee Darista, who is from the Stanford Observatory, who is involved in all of these mis- and disinformation campaigns or, well, really it is a campaign, but countering disinformation campaign uh an indian guy who is the creator of a a big fact checking organization and of course bill gates and we're going to hear what their thoughts are on the trust issue data recently has shown that trust in government and trust in media continues to fall globally so how much is is this about information or about the trust of the sources of information so yeah So I think the trust is, sorry, I think the trust is broken down. I think that's, we have to, we have to accept that and start at that point. Uh, the trust in government is broken down in general. Uh, the trust in any intermediary, for example, it could be a CDC in, uh, in the United States, has broken down. And not only has it broken down, it's converted into uh, uh, opposition uh, or hate or whichever way you want to call it. So uh, I think we have to do a lot of work uh, in rebuilding trust. But on the flip side, Uh, The examples we've seen of vaccination working, uh, including in India, and I can quote this example of this uh, uh, villages, a village, a set of villages in central India, uh, where uh, uh, local doctors used Korku, a language spoken by about 600,000 indigenous peoples, Mm -hmm. to create a physical digital outreach. You know, they created YouTube videos and they sat down with people and explained to them. And, And this happened in a couple of other states in India as well around the same time. And I'm talking about the middle of last year you know, where, where we had the second wave, uh, at least in India. So the, the, the outcome of that was that a lot more people took vaccines, a lot more people were able to address their fears or insecurities, and actually it worked. So if you look at India today, we've, uh, we've done about 2.1 billion doses of vaccines. So, and if you work backwards, it's worked somewhere. So I think while the bad news is that the, the internet and misinformation continues to play uh, havoc, on oh. people's minds, uh, and even before uh, the pandemic. I think the good news is that if we were to address uh, what, I, what I call on the demand side of the problem, which is to work uh, <laughs> at hyperlocal, uh, work with communities, work with religious leaders, uh, work with influencers, uh, then you're able to get somewhere. And that's what we have here in this audience, is we have these influencers. These are 
young influencers. And they do reference that later. But one of the, we're not going to get to that, that final clip where they address this more. We will in the next show. But they are speaking to young TikTok, Instagram, social media influencers who can better deliver this propaganda to the ears of those who trust them than, say, Bill Gates or those who are up on stage or government officials can. And we have talked about this a whole lot. But this is a, very, this is a whole conference dedicated to giving these influencers these tools and these messages to deliver this information. It's really not unlike the Indivisible Truth Brigade that we deconstructed the other day where they give them the copy and paste messages from the top. They just, well, come to this great grand conference. We'll feed you. It's like a casino, you know. If you spend enough time at a casino, then you will be given a free room. You'll, you, all, you get free drinks at most casinos, and you're treated like royalty as long as it looks like you're gambling enough. It, 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 I'm not a big gambler, but a friend of mine is, and I was able to experience a lot of, a lot of this, and I was just blown away by it. They bring these people in, they give them all these great perks, and they say, well, here's what you can do for us. Here are these messages you need to give to our followers if you care about climate, if you want to stop the spread of the dangerous disinformation that's putting us all and the planet in jeopardy. And the trust issue, and I love it. I just love it. I just love it that they can't overcome this trust issue because that, that's how... That's how we win. That is why we know that they are struggling in this battle and that the Great Reset is not playing out like they hoped it would because we don't trust them. And that little monologue that Kumar gave there, to me, it's just a perfect illustration of how out of touch they are. He did not, he didn't care to actually address the real concern that people who believe these things have. He just glossed over it because he had to. He was just excited about mocking it. And that's how we know that they aren't going to regain our trust because they cannot be authentic and genuine and truly understand the concerns people have because if they did, they might open their eyes a little bit. They might end up saying, what is it that we're doing here? Maybe we're not doing the right thing. So they gloss over it because the cognitive dissonance causes them to gloss over it. It does. It really does. People have a physical reaction to a lot of cognitive dissonance and they react kind of in that dismissive way that he did there. And, and what this guy said here about the trust question is... The trust is broken down in the institutions of government, yes, definitely, and it's been converted to dislike because these people are snooty and they look down at people who question things and they want them just to comply and they mock them. They call anybody who questions anything uh, the, the craziest type of conspiracy theorist that you can think of. You are automatically that person if you question anything that they say. And he gives that example, which is definitely interesting of the techniques they're trying to do to rebuild that trust. He says they've created a digital physical outreach. They work at the hyper-local level. That is their plan. Now, in these clips, they go a little bit more detail on that. We're not going to get to all of them today, but I point that out because that's what they talked about in the Indivisible Truth Brigade, where Dan Pfeiffer said, we need to create a grassroots effort, which is an illusion of a grassroots effort, top-down, but actually it's coming from, or bottom-up, but actually it's coming from the top-down People are just infiltrating the local areas and trying to get those who have the most influence to spread their messages. And they are coming for our, our locales all over the country. All right, we'll do a couple more clips and we'll move on and get out of here. This is Renee Darista. She puts in her two cents on the trust problem. You know, we talked a lot about trust backstage before we came on. Yeah, so one of the things that happens today is there's an offset in the velocity component, right? How fast information moves before it's verified. 
The pandemic really made this very clear because there was not much that had been verified. We didn't know the answer. We didn't know how it spread. We didn't know whether masks were going to work. There was no vaccine for a very long period of time. And so what you had were people who were looking for information. And when you go looking for information on the internet, the search engines and the platforms have to return something. They are always curating information for you, and they're curating it from what they have available at their disposal. When institutions do not participate in that process. I paused it there because it's showing a picture of the crowd and there's people in the crowd that appear to be wearing. Are they wearing yellow? Oh, no, that's a dress. Those are just yellow dresses. I thought they were wearing raincoats. My apologies. I'll take it back. Renee Darista here appears to be wearing somebody's wallpaper as a dress. Back to the clip. At their disposal. When institutions do not participate in that process, there is nothing institutionally authoritative to surface, and so they have to choose from what else is there. In, like, in academia, we call this a data void, right? The person who is producing the content for a new and novel keyword, particularly during a, during a new and novel vaccine, is going to be the result that's returned. If people find it compelling, it's going to be the thing that goes viral. So one of the things that we saw was that institutions, uh, they really, they want to be right before they say something. And so rather than... Give me a break communicating transparently, this is what we know at this moment, at this time, and it might change tomorrow. They were largely reticent. They didn't participate in the conversation. And so what was available to surface, what was there to be curated, what had the potential to go viral, was whatever the person who was very confident and, you know, sometimes there can be some overconfidence on the internet. Um, so <laughs> that kind of dynamic yep. was, was what was available. And if people trusted that person making that statement, they would share it because, again, they want to help their community. There's a real altruistic desire to be that person who helps their community find the cure or stay safe. And that offset of reliable, verified information that has gone through some kind of scientific process versus an opinion or speculation or rumor, it's not only unique to COVID. This is, I think, the challenge that faces us today. As people, we have that power to spread information. And so there's this real question about how do we handle that, that time offset between what's going to go viral and how long it's going to take us to really know the facts. Okay, that was a lot of information there, but that's a, the problem, according to her, is, is nothing institutionally authoritative, s uh, no sources. They surfaced because the institutions were more concerned about getting it right first, and that allowed all the mis- and disinformation spreaders to get out there and, and use sensationalistic reporting to get attention. Give me a break. Nobody believes that. Seriously, zero people believe that, but I'm impressed how she can say that with such assertiveness as though she believes it, because I know that, I, I'm almost certain, I can't say I know, I'm fairly certain that she does not believe that either, because she is one of these propagandists who has been involved with some of the shadiest stuff, I'm not going to go into it, that you've ever seen. There's no way she believes that. And she, she says that since, like, since when... Do they want to be right before saying anything? Have they ever wanted to be right before saying anything? I mean, Fauci literally admitted that they lied about the mask stuff to try and force people into a behavioral thing. And that's what this is about. They do not care about being right. They care about controlling and manipulating behavior. So this is an absolute joke. An absolute joke that they're telling these young influencers who are their audience, getting them to believe making them think it is their civic duty and is moral for them, and they talk about the moral purpose of this later on, to spread the copy and paste messages that Renee and Bill Gates and Kumar and White Castle, stoned Kumar, give, give to them. Unbelievable statement. 
but impressive to say it was such a straight face. What a clown. I, I mean, unbelievable. Just, I, you know, I guess when your job is, here's what you're going to do. You're going to lie to people. We're hiring you because you lie to people well. I should not be so flabbergasted every time I see it, but it just, it's hard. These people are contextualized as serious people who are trying, who are truth tellers. And I know that they're not, but even knowing that, it's still hard when you see these professional settings and they're lying so eloquently that it's like, oh my gosh, mind boggling. You can forget that this is their job. Their job is to lie, is to manipulate. And they're very, very good at it. Okay, here's the next clip. And I'll just pop it in there. This is the last one. This is Bill Gates, the last one for today. And we're going to move on. Uh, where we were able to overcome the problem of bad rumors was uh, during... The- okay, he's talking about overcoming the problem of bad rumors. Again, speaking to the trust issue. Yeah, I'd say one case uh, where we were able to overcome the problem of bad rumors was uh, during the polio eradication campaign. Uh, up in northern Nigeria, there had been rumors that this... Uh, uh, vaccine was there to sterilize Muslim women. And, you know, it came from afar and it wasn't any good. And so, you know, who did these Muslim women trust? Well, their local religious leader. Uh, and so by reaching out to them, getting them to vaccinate their kids and, and speak out, it took a period of years, but we succeeded there. Likewise, in Ebola, there was a period where you'd see that anybody who got sick and went to the hospital, not only did they disappear and they were dead, but they were never returned for the funeral because touching the body uh, was a huge source of transmission, particularly because people would travel long distances to come to those funerals, and then sadly they'd get infected and take it back. And it took quite a while to find local language people to speak out and explain, create some alternate service that uh, didn't involve uh, the touching. And so, you know, finally, Ebola starts to go down when that communication is, is succeed, has succeeded. But knowing, you know, what those trust networks look like, that... that okay, so trust networks. But I don't know why that clip cut off short. I must have edited it a little bit short. But the, knowing what those trust networks look like can take a long time, is what he goes on to say. But that example there of overcoming those bad rumors, this is what they're looking for in my local community, your local community, communities around the country. They want to find the trust networks. They want to map them. And because of social media... Facebook probably is one of them, and, and maybe Instagram too. They can map that. They are going to have a harder time mapping the offline connections. A lot of times we do have online connections that are similar to our offline connections, but I, I think that they're also a lot different. But they are trying very hard, and they showed here that they do attempt to map those offline local connections so that they find those most influential people, and then you, I guess you just bribe them. You just make, you make them an offer they can't refuse. I don't know. But that sounds kind of like what they're doing. They find someone willing to play ball and promote their effort who ha- who's in a position of influence in that trust network, high up in the trust network. Remember that. Look around. Think about it. Like who might be – and I'm not saying we should be skeptical and, and be mean. We shouldn't do that. I, you know, sometimes there's a balance of questioning things and being skeptical with just automatically assuming – people have a, a bad intent. I don't. I do not automatically assume people have a bad intent. I give people the benefit of doubt because that's what I, I would want because I know that I make mistakes. We're all human and we all make mistakes. But 
there is no doubt that they do try and influence those locales. And one thing they do is they put people in all of those precincts or in those districts, and Indivisible does that. But they are going to try and influence people. And I think really, to me, it's simple, is once someone starts spouting something that is obviously in the narrative and they refuse to accept any questions to it, regardless of whether they've been captured, it's like, hey, man, let's have a conversation or let's just move on because I am not, you're not going to bully, you're not going to pound this into my head. I'm not just going to accept this unquestioned without, you know, thinking about it. I'm sorry. I'm just not. We can still be friends, but once you start pounding this stuff into my head, then we're done. And, and you will find that that person is, will either change their tune, maybe, uh, not all the time, but maybe. If they're captured, they probably won't. But So I don't think it's a major problem. I don't think we have to be skeptical or, or even mean. I just think we have to stick to the idea of, I'm going to question stuff, and you need to be okay with that if we're going to be in a social relationship together. It's just simple as that. Because people can get frustrated with that. That's fine. Get frustrated with it. But I, I'm still going to question stuff. I'm still going to question. doesn't matter what it is. All right, moving on from that, I'm going to have some more of those clips tomorrow or Thursday, depending on when we're able to get to it. And I got one more, I believe one more story here. You know what? Here's what we're going to do. We're going to go ahead and save that story for the DMBXR, that one I was about to get to. And before we do get to the final story that we're going to do, which is going to be about what MSNBC had to say about Lindsey Graham's sexuality this morning. I want to tell you what we're going to talk about in that DMB XR, which is Roger Stone calling video evidence of him encouraging post-election violence a deep fake. There was evidence produced of him promoting violence. He says it's a deep fake. Fake. The media claims it's ridiculous, but upon closer inspection, is his claim ridiculous? We're going to look at it. It's interesting. And we're also going to be looking at the newly released rankings of the best countries and the most corrupt countries in the world, according to this ranking system here. So if you want access to that subscriber-only content, go to patreon.com slash propaganda report and subscribe there today. You can also go to propreport.locals.com. What you will get along with that subscriber-only content is you will get this show, the Drive Time News Blast, ad-free. I take all the ads out for these subscribers, and you also get the XR. You get the DMB and the XR ad-free, and they go straight to, for Patreon subscribers, to your personal RSS feed. And another quick reminder about the disappearing patron party tomorrow evening, evening, Wednesday, September 28th, 8 p.m. EST, and another one the following Wednesday, 8 p.m. on October 5th. So check that out. Again, patreon.com slash propaganda report. Subscribe today. Now on to the final story of the day, which is MSNBC's commentary on what everybody is concerned about on the top of America's mind, Lindsey Graham's sexuality. So, Lindsey Graham, or MSNBC, it's probably my favorite story of the day for sure. They had a discussion this morning about Lindsey Graham pushing for a federal ban on abortion, which of course leads to commentary about his sexuality. I'm going to let you hear the conversation, and then we'll talk about it briefly. I'm going to share my screen here. Where is that? There we go. Hold on one second, share screen, and share, no, share Microsoft tab, but Lindsey Graham, there we go. Okay, here we go. Let's make sure you guys can hear this, full screen. All right. Now, wait, not sharing screen, my apologies. I realized it was not on the screen, let me pop that up there. 
And here we go now. All right. Well, I know all of you have something to say about Lindsey Graham. Oh, my God. Lindsey Graham, who is more than doubling down, he is going further, pushing a federal ban, a national ban on abortion. I want you to first help me understand why would he even be doing this, Mm -hmm. right? They overturned Roe v. Wade. So for that portion of their base who wanted that, you got what you wanted. Right. Why do this? Republicans don't even support it across the board. He's dividing Republicans. It's not like you can get white evangelical voters to vote for you twice. And now <laughs> right. you're knocking out a ton of other mm-hmm. potential voters. And he's mm-hmm. ignoring what happened in Kansas. Yes. Yeah. You know, it's like, come on, people. And in so you, many other swing states. Oh, I, I know. Mean, women and registering to vote. And the fact that he is telling women what to do with their bodies. He's never mm-hmm. seen a vagina. <laughs> He's never seen a naked woman. And he is telling me. Someone's like that. Right, well, that's okay, not a news organization. We don't know that for sure. Okay. We do not know that for sure. If I could flip that, though, yeah, as a, a married man who's got a wife and two daughters, mm. I don't want someone who's not married without a family dictating oh, family same. policy. Mm. Well, and also, mm. even though I know that there are women who support uh, the ban on abortion and support the revocation of Roe v. Wade, it really makes me uncomfortable that a guy, that a man, oh, yeah. th- even in the in the press conference, there he is in front with these two meek women standing behind him. Like, and Marco Rubio, don't forget. Oh, my God. And these are Do men. they want to have babies? Do they want to have babies? No, they're men who need Viagra. They don't, have, they don't even operate correctly. Right. <laughs> all right, well, I know all I, of you I believe have she was saying, to say. do, do Marco Rubio and, and Lindsey Graham want to have babies together? I think that's what she was saying. I think Marco Rubio might have babies. I, I, I'm not certain. But, okay, that, that was a humorous clip. That was Judy Gold, by the way, that they had on the news show in the morning at MSNBC. Judy Gold is a comedian. She's a lesbian. Been a comedian for decades. And you can always tell because of the just the tone and the flow of the way she speaks. Like, ah, my name, he's never seen a vagina. And, and very obvious there. And that's something that a lot of people have made jokes about, Lindsey Graham's potential sexuality. I have, other people have, Judy Gold here has. However, this commentary was interesting to me for a couple of reasons. Say he's never seen a vagina, never seen a naked woman. I I have no idea. I I don't know. I don't care. And mocking sexuality, though, I found it interesting because what may or may not be somebody who's a closeted gay man, you can mock this person. It's perfectly fine to mock them as long as you're a Democrat and they are a Republican. I, I personally don't care. But they undermine their own woke posturing on a regular basis with this type of commentary. And I'm not even opposed to it. It made me laugh. There's a couple comments in there and the shock that the woman who was wearing... This woman was wearing, for those just listening, this bright pink outfit, like soup skirt. That looked like it was it was colored with a, a pink highlighter is, is what it looked. It's like a highlighter suit. And she just the shock on her face from hearing that on television, someone saying vagina on television like that in that context, it w- was funny. And then, you know, the whole thing was humorous. It was stupid but humorous. Yet it doesn't fit for them because it undermines their woke posturing. Like on a regular basis, they posture in the opposite direction. It's just blatant hypocrisy exposing itself yet again. And so stuff like this, while I find it humorous, it erodes the believability of their woke outrage that they express on a regular basis 
over the same type of comments that people might make on the other side of the aisle. But that's okay, because everything is in a, in a halo, a silo, whatever they call it. It doesn't matter. It's just the believability erodes and continues to erode. Although, good job, MSNBC, on being a little bit more lighthearted. I appreciate that. Now stop getting pissed off or pretending to be pissed off every time somebody on the other side does the same kind of mockery of somebody on your side. Like, say, of Leah Thomas, who is a man who dominated a bunch of women at swimming by growing his hair long and saying he's a woman. Stop getting mad at the same thing, and maybe people will take you more seriously. So kudos to you on being lighthearted about a story. Judy Gold put that in there. She's a comedian. She's funny. She's funny. She's, I watched a panel discussion, actually, that Judy Gold was part of recently. And I was going to cut some clips of it, but it just was boring, to be honest with you. But the panel discussion was called, Can We Say This? And it was all about what comedians can and cannot say in 2022. Yeah, it, literally, they were talking about that. And some of it was like, are, are you kidding me? Like, are you kidding me? You have a bunch of comedians here that are half the time they spent talking about fascism and how dangerous and scary Trump is, which in and of itself takes away from your comedian credibility if you take that that seriously and are unable to joke about it. But Judy Gold is funny, and I'm glad she injected that in there. And the guy, by the way, who said, the dude who said, and not the best words that he chose, but he said, can I flip that, though? And rightfully, everybody laughed. Maybe he intended to have that little turn of phrase there, but either way, it was funny. He said this, and I thought this was great. He said, as a man with two daughters, he doesn't want someone who is not married without a family dictating family policy. Which I was hoping that the follow-up question by anybody on the panel would be, okay, so you don't support Stacey Abrams, who has a cradle-to-career plan as governor, where she will take your child, let you go live your dream. Go live your dream. I'll, she's, in the, she's in the hospital room with her hospital thing on, her gown, and her mask. She takes the baby. She snips the cord says, you go live your dream. This baby's a burden to you. Cradle to career. It'll be taken care of. I wonder if that question, were, of course, it's not going to come up, but I love it when they expose their their hypocrisy like that. All right, that's the end of the show today. I appreciate you guys. I appreciate you guys sticking with me through the clips and everything. Again, if you want access to that Drive Time News Blast XR, the subscriber-only content, go to patreon.com slash propaganda report and subscribe there today. Thank you all for watching and listening. You can find the Propaganda Report's Drive Time News Blast where your podcast, wherever you do your podcast listening under the Propaganda Report's podcast feed and the new tentative website, address. I have a bunch of them that I'm trying out, but the one I'm trying out now is, what is it? Where is it? I'm, it's propagandafight.com. So that's where the new website is going to be. As of now, I'm going to be linking other domains there too, and I might do a poll to test which ones you guys like better. So thank you again for listening. Stay safe if you're in Florida or anywhere else that's going to be hit by that storm and have a fantastic rest of your day. I forgot to do the music. Dead gummit. I was supposed to, you know what, let's go ahead and cue that music now. Then we will roll this, we'll roll this baby right into the DMB XR. Can you hear that? All right, there we go. Thank you guys again. Talk to you next time. Have a fantastic rest of your day. <laughs>